from week three, I think, yeah, week three of our series that we're calling Indescribable. Uh, and really during this Christmas season, what we're trying to do is take a, a, a few weeks, you know, this five weeks, it's all of the month of December and the first week of G- January 2015. Doesn't that sound weird? 2015. Uh, and we're talking about this indescribable gift. And the indescribable gift is simply this. It is the grace of God. And so we're going to spend this week and then the next couple of weeks continuing to talk about this idea of God's overwhelming, amazing, indescribable gift of grace. And so it, it, it's been a good series, and so we're just looking at different aspects of that and what that means. We're, we're using a, a key verse, and a lot of times we do that here. If you haven't been at Southridge, we take a key verse and kind of hang there for a while. Let's just, let's just let it sink in. It's a great verse maybe to memorize. And so this key verse for this series key text is found in Ephesians chapter 2, and it reads like this, verse 8. It says, God saved you. And I was reading this earlier this morning, and I thought, you know, it'd be nice if we actually made it more personal. God saved me. If it wasn't somebody out there, it was somebody right here. And, and saved, by the way, simply means this, God put you in right relationship with him. It's kind of a churchy word, a churchy phrase, are you saved? But really it means, am I in right relationship with God? He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. This idea of faith mixed with the power of God does something supernatural in the lives of each and every one of us. And so he said that this grace thing happened when you believe. And then he goes on and he begins to break it down because there were some problems in understanding this idea of grace. Just like today, I think we have some problems understanding as well. He says, and you can't take credit for this. This whole grace thing, this whole being made right with God isn't something you can take credit for. It's not something you made happen. Matter of fact, it goes on, it says, it is a gift from God. There's the Christmas part of this. This gift from God is a gift from God. Salvation, this being made right with God in relationship to Him, is not a reward for the good things we have done. And that's a big thing that we'll talk about. It's not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. So none of us can get to the point and say, look what I've accomplished. Look at the things that I've done in saving or making myself right with God. It's all Him. It's all His grace, and I'm just trusting. So why is understanding the grace of God so important? Why is that? Let's just answer that question right off the bat. What's the big deal? And it's a simple answer, but it's a very powerful answer. And here it is. The level of grace that we embrace determines the depth of our relationship with God. In other words, the way I understand and the way I embrace or I enact, I, I in, uh, interact with grace directly is corresponding to the relationship that I have with God. If I don't understand grace, if I don't have this embracing idea of God's grace in my life, there is a very real possibility that my depth of relationship with God will be minimal and so it's this huge idea that I need to embrace grace because it determines the relationship or the depth of my relationship with God but I don't know about you but I think sometimes we just struggle with that anybody ever struggle with grace we just struggle with it I think it's just one of those concepts it's indescribable it's hard to get my mind around it's hard to get this thought process or actually embrace it the way I know I need to and there's some obstacles and I think in the text of what we just read there's some obstacles that Paul is pulling out or addressing that I want to highlight real quickly just a few obstacles that he addresses let me let me just walk through them the first one first obstacle I think for a lot of us is we struggle to believe that God is actually enough 
that somehow it has to be something God and something. Or I can't fully, completely trust him. And it says when you believe, the idea of believing is simply placing your trust or your faith in the ability of God to be enough. And so, so many times what happens, we, we have this struggle with grace is because we're not really 100% convinced that God can do what God says he's going to do. And so I, don't, I, don't, I struggle with this enough concept with him. And really what that might mean is we're struggling to embrace this idea of grace because we don't fully trust in this extent or this size or the magnitude of God's love and his forgiveness towards a person like me. That somehow I don't, I don't fully grasp this enough to really say God can do this. He can make my life something different. And so we tend to pull back a little bit from grace because of that. Here, here's another thought right from our text is that we tend to overestimate our role in the whole thing. We tend to overestimate what we're actually doing and what God's doing. And, and the reality of it, it says in our text, you can't take credit for it. And really what that means is we're trying to take credit for something we really can't do in the first place. In other words, it's unrealistic or to think that my ability, my work, my doing is going to somehow earn this right relationship with God. I can't take credit for that. But sometimes we confuse that and we put ourselves in that role and, and we think in some way we're God with a small g. And that's, that's a problem. Here, here's another one, <clears throat> and I think this is a big one. As we fail to receive the gift that God's offering. It says in our text that it is a gift of God. It's something that God is trying to give me. He's, he's trying to he's say, here, I want to give you this. But what happens very simply is instead of receiving the gift, we just kind of go, oh, okay. And we don't actually engage in it. We don't actually receive it. And we miss the opportunity because our hands are not open to just simply say, I receive. It's kind of like this. I got, I got a couple books here. Uh, Anybody a parent in the, in, in the room today? Any, any parents in here? Uh, amazing book, Shante Feld, Feldhan, Elisa Rice, uh, uh, for parents only, getting inside the head of your kid. Kind of sounds a little scary, but I think it's good. <coughs> um, I'd like to give this away to somebody who would like to have this if they just come up and get it. Wow, that was pretty simple, wasn't it? She received what I was giving away, but she had to make an initial step to say, I'll take that. All right? All right, we've learned a little bit, though, now, haven't we? <laughs> we'll see. Now, don't be crushing on people here. This book here is brand new. I just bought this. I bought it all for the... I, oh, I shouldn't say that because I haven't given it to them. Um, it's a gift I'm giving to the leadership team. But I have my copy. I'm going to give my copy away, and I'll get another one later. Uh, but this is a great book. It's called The Grave Robber, about how Jesus can make your impossible possible. Great book. And I, I'd like to give this away to somebody that would be interested in reading something like this, and I'd just like to give this away. <laughs> All right. That was easy, wasn't it? That was easy. But see, so many times we miss grace simply because we never receive it. We just miss it because we never make a step in that direction. We hear about it. I mean, some of you are like, man, I really wanted that book. And, you know, some are like, man, I hope he has another one. I don't. <laughs> but, but that's what we do. And so we, we miss out on this. It's a gift from God. God is offering something. He said, here, I'd like to give you this. 
And receiving is part of that formula. Receiving is part of that. And so many times we just miss that and in, in, in not engage in the process. Here, here's another one, is that we try to earn something that's free. So, so take what we just did a little bit further, that somehow now the people that just received that free book that I just gave them, now they're thinking, okay, how much do I have to give Pastor Troy for this book? It says on the back it's fifteen ninety nine, but he probably got a discount, so maybe it's only eleven ninety nine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's free, right? It's free, but so many times we try to earn what God's trying to give us for free. And he said it's not a reward of anything that you do or any good things that you've done. It's not a reward, but that is so much of our struggle that we try to earn this thing. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people that have battled with grace because they thought that they had to be good enough for God to love them. That they had to get it all right so that God could care about them. And the truth of the matter is, before you did anything, matter of fact, when you were even still really bad, God already loved you. His grace was already extended. His grace was already laid out there for you. And so to think that, I'm really not thinking accurately, but that's so much part of our understanding when it comes to grace. We think that we've got to earn it, which doesn't make any sense at all. It's maybe the most difficult thing about grace, that nothing I can do will make me more deserving or deserving of God's grace. It cannot ever be earned. The thought that I'm going to earn Grace is actually an oxymoron. Let me give you an interpretation of oxymoron. It's stupid, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't work. It's this idea that these two things, to earning something that's totally meant to be unconditionally free, doesn't make any sense. But yet that's what Paul is addressing here. Say, hey, you're, it's not a reward of anything that you've done to, in your own good works. It's not that. And so I, I, I thought about it for myself. I was like, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard? Because I understand there's times in my life where I struggle to find grace and I struggle to embrace it. Why is it so hard? And I just, I was just thinking, I was just asking myself the question. I came up with a couple thoughts. And the first one is this. I think most of us, because of our American nature, <laughs> which is connected to human nature, is that we have a natural tendency to want to work for anything we get. I think that's just how we are. We just want to work for it. You know, somebody tries to give you something, automatically you say, how can I give you something back? You know, how, how can I, how can I, you know, I want to make sure it's equal here. Like, for example, my, my neighbor across the street, great people, older couple, good people, every year they give us a Christmas gift. And every year we don't. <laughs> and and it, it bothers me, but not quite enough to do anything about it. <laughs> right? But, but it's that idea that because I got something, I need to give something back, right? I mean, they're just random. They're, and I, I, I know them. I don't, I don't think they're, they're sitting over there going, I can't believe they didn't give us a gift back this year, you know? I don't think that's even remotely part of who they are. But yet there's something in us that, that says that. And there's that, that tendency that we have that says, I want to work for it, that somehow... I'm going to do something good enough that God would in turn reward me with grace. I'm going to prove my worth to you. Just like you did this, I'm going to prove it back to you. But it just doesn't work like that. Here, here's a couple other thoughts, and these are false ideas. Is we think somehow, some way, we're actually in control of our own destiny. We're the judge, the jury. We're the ones that decide how it all works. And in reality, we're not. It's not even remotely true. We're, we're not independent agents. God is the one that we need to be dependent on, and we might act like we are, but we're not. 
Here, here's, here's another thought, is that we think God actually operates somewhat like us. That somehow God, when he, because he's, he is somewhat like me, which is totally confusing because God is altogether different than you and I. See, God isn't even remotely like us. Matter of fact, the scriptures say in, in the Old Testament that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. That, that the way I operate and the way you operate is not the way that, that it is. But sometimes we confuse that and we put that in there because here's how it kind of works its way out is we tend to do good things for good people. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. But God doesn't do that. God tends to do good things for bad people. God tends to be gracious to those that maybe rejected him. God tends to be gracious to those that even rebelled against him and, and, and mocked him. and all the, I mean, it, it's crazy that God would do that. That's the way God does it. But sometimes we think he operates like we do, and so we get wrapped up in this idea of gaining or earning his favor. Here's the last one, is that, that we might have a, a lack of humility. And it says in, in the text, none of us can boast. In other words, pride is the greatest grace killer of all. That somehow if I can't come to that point that there's a bowing down, that always if I'm, if I'm standing up proud and arrogant in myself, that when I'm doing that, I'm missing out on this opportunity to embrace grace. So anyway, I, by the way, I, I messed up on your handout this week. I, you probably think, wait a minute, you skipped a spot. You skipped a spot. How many of you are freaking out because I skipped a spot? We got a long way to go, don't we? <laughs> anyway, let me give you that. I, I put that in the wrong spot in the notes, and I had, you know, we, we, had, we had several meetings this morning about it, and we decided that we would just roll with the punches, and I'm going to give you the answer right now. Are you okay? <laughs> so what's grace? Here's our definition. is God's unmerited favor given to one who is undeserving. God's unmerited favor given to one who is undeserving. That's, that's what grace is. And so today I want to explore this idea of grace for the undeserved. It's a gift for the undeserving. Actually, if you're undeserving and you know it, you're in the best place you could possibly be in relationship to grace. If you know that. If you get to that point. And so, so there's, there, and what that means simply is this. There's nothing in me that deserves God's grace. You know, and I, I thought of this question, how good would I have to be for God to say to me, you deserve my favor or my grace? How good would you have to be? I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, how do you even gauge that? I, I mean, how good would I have to be in my life that God would say, you're so good, you deserve my grace? And the answer is, you'd have to be perfect. You'd have to be sinless. You'd have to be completely, 100%, without any error or any sin or anything like that. So then God could say, according in relationship to me, now you deserve it. Now, I don't know about you, but that creates an automatic problem, doesn't it? Because none of us are that good. None of us are that good that we can say that we deserve God's grace. We might have good moments. We might have good thoughts every once in a while. But in the reality of who we are, every one of us in this room is undeserving. And so that's why we're talking about this. Grace is connected to this idea that we don't deserve it, and, that, and that's what makes it grace. <clears throat> now, here's the biggest obstacle. The biggest obstacle that we face in embracing grace is this. We don't fully understand the depth of our situation. 
we don't fully understand the depth of our situation. Remember what I said about the level of grace that we embrace it determines the depth or relationship that we have with God? It's directly connected with this idea of understanding where I'm at and who I am. Understanding what's going on. See, when we finally realize how undeserving we are and how much we need grace, that's when we actually finally come to a place where grace can be embraced. Now, I just happen to have the perfect illustration from this from our Hawaii trip. Now, my son, he is uh, very athletic. He's, he's, he's much younger than I, obviously. I mean, he's, he's, he's fit, much like I am. <laughs> That's a joke. <clears throat> and, and so I tried to keep up with him at the beach. You know, I tried to boogie board, couldn't boogie board. Try to do other things, you know, hike with him. I could hike because that was pretty easy, you know. And actually, I'd show off a little bit because I could still hike, you know. You know, I'd get up there. I stood on the big rock. He didn't stand on the rock. I did, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <coughs> well, I, it, so one day he said, we got to go to the China Wall Cliffs. I'm like, okay, God, we got to go jump. We got to go jump off the China Wall Cliffs. And I'd already jumped off the pier, but the pier was only about six or eight feet. And the waves were only about maybe two feet high. And so... We go out to this China wall, and the, the, the wave are, waves are up, and, and he said, man, you're going to love this. This is so much fun. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm kind of, okay. And so we get there, and I'm looking at him like, oh, dude, this is not going to be fun. I don't know if this is a good idea. And so I, I walk up to the edge, and I look over at the edge, and it's about 15 feet down to the water. The waves are coming in about 8 to 10 feet, crashing against the cliff at the same time. They're going by the cliff and at the cliff at the same time. White water everywhere. It's so big, the waves are so big that surfers are right there surfing on those waves on the edge. And I'm like, whoo, man, this is intense. Water's about 20 foot deep, so I wasn't worried about hitting the bottom. So I'm standing there, I'm going, I don't know, this is not a good idea. I'm almost 50. <laughs> you know? But my punk kid is saying, I could do this. <laughs> no. He goes, you could do it, Dad, you could do it. And so we look, and so I actually brought a picture so you can see what's happening. So you can, and by the way, it's PG-13, sorry. <clears throat> okay, that's me. You could tell in the picture, I'm scared. All right, and you can see the waves going. Well, this cliff here is sheer 15 foot down, and it's got like, like coral grab holes all over, real jagged, sharp. Well, here's the one thing that was the problem. The way that you get out of the water is you have to wait for a wave to lift you up, and then you land on top of the cliff. I watched other guys do it. It looked pretty easy. All right? So jumping in was easy. That was easy. I jump in. I'm out there. I'm swimming around. Tyler's got goggles. I put goggles on. I'm going down in the water looking at the fish and enjoying it and just like, wow, this is cool. But I'm out away from all that white stuff. I'm out like out over here, you know. And then Tyler goes, hey, let's go in. Let's, let's climb up and do it again. I'm like, okay. So we start swimming in there and, you know, we're going. And I'm thinking, man, these waves are kind of intense. You know, this is, this is a lot bigger down here than it felt up there, you know, kind of thing. And so <clears throat> he goes over, goes to grab a hold of the ledge, waves through the wave. The wave lifts him up. He grabs a hold of it, kind of slips up there, and then he falls down. Then he jumps right back up and gets out. I'm like, piece of cake. <laughs> so I go, and I'm waiting for the wave to come in, and I go up. It gets up there, and I get right to the edge. I grab a hold. I can't hold on. I'm a weakling. I fall back, land in the water. <laughs> Another wave is coming by. 
well, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit right now. Waves coming by, they're big, I got to get out. And then I remember Tyler saying, so then I tried again, I fell back, I tried unsuccessfully three times. But I thought, wait a minute, he said that you could go around this little corner and you might be able to climb up about 15 foot of climbing. And so I go around the corner and the waves are kind of coming and the bigger sets are coming and I'm not real smart about how this all works. And, and Jennifer and those guys, they're all up on the cliff. They don't even know this is happening. I'm down out of sight. They can't see me, you know. And Tyler's up there going, listen to me, listen to me. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling here, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> and so, so I go to grab a hold of this other spot to climb up. Well, right when I grab a hold of the wave, lifts me up, and I kind of lose my grip, and I can't. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And I just grabbed a hold of it. And as I grabbed a hold of it, I went out sideways. <laughs> and I didn't realize the force of a 10-foot wave. The 10-foot wave, I, I have blood blisters on all the tips of my fingers from trying to hold on. I lost my wedding ring. I rolled around in the white water. I got a scratch down the middle of my back about this long. I got scratches on my knees. I got one on my toe, like a gash on my toe. I got cuts on this finger. I mean, I got cuts everywhere. I mean, it's rolling me around, and I'm feeling like this, and I'm going like this. I'm in the white stuff down below here. And finally, I can get just one foot on the ledge, and I push out. <laughs> I'm dying. My heart rate is 180, and I mean, I'm breathing kind of, I'm spitting water. I mean, I'm in trouble, and the waves are coming. I'm one wave away from dying. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I'm telling a serious story. I'm one wave away from dying. You almost didn't have a pastor. You would all had to go to Hawaii for a funeral. Like, wait a minute, that might not. <laughs> so, so I'm out there, and I'm treading water as best I can. I mean, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I can try to swim out here and just try to tread water. I can barely stay afloat now. I mean, I'm in bad shape. And about that time, one of those surfer dudes, he's about 15 feet away, and he goes, you all right? <laughs> I go, No. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even think about it. I didn't, I, there no pride, no nothing. No, <laughs> I am not okay. And he swims over with his surfboard, jumps off his surfboard and says, get on. And I'm like, oh, man. So I get on, and he swims. He says, hey, I'll swim. And we ended up having to swim about 100 yards up this way to get around the corner. He said, here, I'll help you. Even then I fell back in twice, <laughs> you know, with the guy pushing me. <laughs> Right, And so he saved, this random guy saved some Nebraska white overweight dude, <laughs> you know? And afterwards, we ran into him when we were getting in the cars after. I mean, I get out, I'm sitting on the edge, and I'm sitting there it, just breathing, head pounding. I'm thinking, I, I just about died. I just about died. If that guy wouldn't have came along, I would have died. And, and, and I realized, you know, we, we talked about it later. Well, we, but I ran into the guy. He goes, hey, keep safe. <laughs> With a little smirk. <laughs> yeah. So all of that to say this, I realized real quickly that it was easy to jump in and it was easy to get in that spot. But really, I was an undeserving participant in a real gracious act. 
The guy didn't have to do it. He didn't know me. He, I mean, all he knew is there was somebody that was about to die <laughs> from Nebraska, and he needed some help. And, and, and I was undeserving. I mean, it was, it was an undeserving moment as he pulled me out. And, and I was, you know, anyway, Jen, Jennifer didn't even know I almost died. I get up there, she goes, boy, you're breathing hard. <laughs> And Tyler still yelling at me, you didn't listen to me, you didn't listen to me. I was like, anyway. So, so the whole point is this, is a lot of us are in deep situations, and we don't know it until it gets really bad. And the moment we realize that is the moment that we maybe can reach out and grab a hold of grace. That's the moment that it comes alive. That's the moment where the undeserving collides with the grace moment that we need to embrace. And see, some of us, we never get there because we never really understand the depth of our situation. We never really get to that point where somebody says, are you all right? And you can really honestly say, no, I'm not all right. So let me, let me jump back into some of my notes here. So, so the key text that we have said none of us can boast because this, even the best person on the planet is undeserving. See, grace is for those who understand they don't deserve it. Let me say that again because that's a huge point from today. Grace is for those who understand they don't deserve it. Now, if I was out there swimming and gagging and I, and I started yelling at the guy, hey, guy, get over here and save my life. He'd probably say, who are you? You know, it wouldn't make sense. I mean, but I was undeserving, and he knew the situation, and I knew that too. See, many people have a false sense of goodness about who they are, and we might even say to ourselves, I'm not that bad. I deserve some grace. But the truth of Scripture describes us as something other than good. Things like undone, wretched, poor, pitiful, lowly. It even says that none, says in Romans 3, it says, there is none that are good, no, not one, because we're all undeserving. See, I, I have to understand that because if I don't understand it, I can't embrace grace. Grace is something way over there if I always think I'm deserving. And so I've got to somehow get a hold of this idea that I'm undeserving. I need help. I need assistance. I need somebody to lift me out of my situation. Let me, let me read a story. I, I want to read, as I close or kind of wrap up today, a story of the prodigal son. It's kind of interesting because I wrestled back and forth between two stories this week. One of them was Mary's song in Luke uh, 1, maybe it's 2. I can't remember if it's 1 or 2. Luke 1 or 2. Uh, where Mary sings a song after she finds out she's pregnant with Jesus. And it's a song, and the first few lines of the song from Mary, she says things like, we didn't deserve this. I, you, you gave grace to the lowly, and you, you watched out for us. And even in the birth of Christ, there's this idea of undeserving. But I want to go to the story of the prodigal son, because I think it embodies this thought that we're talking about today. Luke chapter 15, and this is Jesus sharing this parable by, by the way, this is one of my favorite parables of all the parables in Scripture because I find myself in this story every time I read it, and I thank God for it. It says, verse 11, Jesus said a certain man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, and you've got to kind of hear the heartbeat of this, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. It's, it's a really selfish, independent gesture. I want to do my thing. I want to jump in my way. <laughs> I want to go in where I want to go in. And, and, and there's this idea of this selfishness that's going on. 
So, so he says, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. In other words, the father, probably knowing that this wasn't the best idea, but would allow him to get there because he wasn't quite at the place where he understood stood the grace and the blessing that he was under right at that time. And so, so he did it. The father said, okay, here you go. And then it says, soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away, distant. There... He wasted his wealth through extravagant living. Other translations say wild living or squandered it. <clears throat> and really what happens, the son turned his back on the father and distanced himself. He rejected and rebelled against his father's will, even though the father's will was the best will that he could have, the best place he could be. And he went against it, but his rebellion didn't go so well. Rebellion always leads to dissatisfaction. So it says, and it picks up, it says, When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, which could have been the grace of God, by the way. That could have been his favor. That was week one. We talked about how God would allow something like that to happen. A severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. In other words, he began to have a realization. I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a deep spot. And he said, I, he, began, <clears throat> he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. In other words, it got worse before it got better. I mean, before he could finally realize what was going on, it, it, it got worse. He, he actually became a slave, a servant to feed pigs. I mean, things got worse. And a lot of times we understand that in our lives. It could get worse and things aren't going away and it's just happening. He says he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. There was no grace. There was no favor. And then notice what happened. When he came to his senses, his eyes were opened. He realized something. He understood something, maybe for the very first time. Maybe his entire life, even though he lived under grace in his father's home as a young man, he never really understood it because he didn't understand the depth of his situation. But it says he came to his his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father, get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I no longer, say it with me, deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. And I love this part of the story. While he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, in the distance, when he was still out there, wasn't home yet, said the Father saw him. I love this about God. See, God sees you in the distance. God sees what you're dealing with. He sees what you're facing. He sees what you're going through. And because God's longing for you and God's desire for you, he's looking for you and he sees you. There's something about God that is pursuing you, that is waiting for you and expecting you, that grace is being extended constantly towards you. It says he saw him in the distance, and he was moved with compassion. Notice he wasn't moved with resentment or bitterness or disgust. Oh, here comes that kid, that squanderer, that idiot, that fool, that 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 undeserving. He didn't say any of that. He was moved with compassion, and that is the heart of God towards anybody that is undeserving. He, he, it's compassionate. 
His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. It's tender. That is tender. Then he said, he, then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I, am no lo- I, I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly. I mean, he, he didn't pay attention. It wasn't about that. It was all about grace. It was all about love. It was all about tenderness. It was all about restoring. It was all about something else. He said, said to his servants, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. That'd be nice. <laughs> put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch a fattened calf and slaughtered. In other words, there's a celebration going on and I'm restoring him to the place that he's always meant to be. Even though he, undes- he was undeserving, even though he'd squandered it, even though he'd wasted it all, even though he'd rebelled, even though he'd rejected, even though he'd put distance between his father and himself, the father says, I'm going to restore him, I'm going to restore him, I'm going to restore him. And that's what God wants to do with each one of us. And it says, we must celebrate with feasting because the son of mine was dead, has come back to life. He, has, he was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So just a few thoughts. He finally came to his senses. See, I think some of us, that's the real issue here. Embracing grace is finally coming to my senses that I'm undeserving. Embracing grace has finally come to that point that I realize I can't take credit for this. There's no good thing I can do to earn it. There's no way I can boast about anything. I just realize I'm undeserving. I finally come to my senses and I understand that. And see, he came to his senses that he lost it all and he finally decided to come back home and receive what God or the father was offering or hopefully would offer. The father's reaction was grace and action. The son didn't deserve it. He definitely, definitely didn't earn it. It was simply the father extending grace to an undeserving son. And we're all like this prodigal. We're all like the son in the story. We have all taken in some shape or form from our father. We have all in some shape or form rejected his invitation to live under his blessing. We have all, in some shape and form, distanced ourselves from God. We have somehow wasted it, but yet the Father stands with open arms waiting to give the gift of grace to the undeserving. In compassion, in tenderness, with covering, with welcoming, to restore. What does it all mean? This is a fill in the blank for you. We're all the focus of God's undeserved grace. Embrace it. Come to your senses, embrace it. Lord, I'm undeserving. Now I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. So this Christmas, excuse me, may we see this whole Christmas story a new way. See, Jesus in the manger is really an extension of grace to the undeserving. Jesus in the manger is actually God extending his grace to the undeserving. That's what the whole Christmas story is about. That's the whole reason for this season. And, and so hopefully somehow we can understand it's more than just a good family holiday. It's a celebration of God's hand of grace extended to the undeserving, you and I. That God is reaching out his arms. God is looking down the road. God is looking ahead and he's waiting and hoping that somehow, some way, you and I would come to that point, we'd come to our senses and say, oh God, if I would only be with you. And that's the story. So God is reaching out his hand to welcome home the prodigal. He's reaching out his hand to restore the rebel. God is reaching out his hand to help the struggling. 
And may we be fully aware this Christmas that God in his love is extending an open invitation. He is waiting at the door. He is waiting at the gate right now for you, for me. But I have to come with an undeserving heart. I have to understand that I can't take credit for it. It's not some good works that I can do. It's nothing that I can earn. It's none of those things. I humbly come and say, Lord, I simply receive. Let's bow our heads and pray. Maybe today you're here and this is the first time you ever thought about grace this way. It's always been grace has kind of been this thing over there, but you haven't seen yourself as undeserving. But all of a sudden, God, by his spirit, is revealing to you right now that you were the undeserving one. And that's a good thing because now you can embrace. Now you can say, Lord, forgive me. Now you can say, Lord, I'm coming home. Now you can say, Lord, I'm yours. Now I can say I understand what it means to be under your blessing and how foolish I was to walk away from it. Lord, that's what I can see now today. So if that's you today, would you just wave your hand at me? Amen, amen, amen. As you wave your hand, you're saying, you know what? I realize that I have been thinking I'm deserving, but yet I'm not. And I'm simply receiving today. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for every person that just raised their hand as a simple gesture that says, Lord, I'm the one that needs to come home. I'm the one that needs to come to my senses. God, you wait at the door. You wait at the gate for me. Lord, not because I deserve it, not because I can earn it, not because I'm that good, but Lord, simply because you love me and you have compassion and tenderness towards me. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would forgive me and might I be a part of the home. Will you welcome me? And I know you will. Lord, restore to me, God, the position that you want for my life. Lord, may I live for you as my Lord and my Savior and my King. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.